Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, suitably warmed up by my half hour with Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, ripping through the news and finding out why uh, some people just don't get it. Because we've got the Archbishop of Canterbury once again this morning, bleating on and on and on about how it's the Christian thing to do to help people who are coming to this country illegally because they're vulnerable. Well, guess what? They're not vulnerable. They're paying people traffickers to come here uh, in thousands and thousands of pounds. They're coming here to disappear into a black economy. Many of them are people who have been deported already uh, and they've decided to come back illegally because they can't get in any other way. And they're coming here, yes, to better their lives in some cases, but not because they're vulnerable, not because they're fleeing a war zone, because if they were fleeing a war zone, surely they'd be bringing their families with them. They'd be bringing their wives. They'd be bringing their sisters. They'd be bringing their mothers. They'd be bringing their children. But no, they're mostly young men who are coming here to take part in something which is ordinarily speaking a way of making money. It could be a criminal enterprise or it could be completely legal. They might be working in a car wash, they might be working uh, down the local supermarket but what they're not doing is coming here because we have got great Christian values and we must help them all the time. Blessed are the human traffickers I think is the lesson uh, today from Archbishop Wokeby. Well I'm not having it and he hasn't got any business sitting in the House of Lords with all those other bishops trying to stop and derail government policy which has been voted on by the government and by the House of Commons and cleared the House of Commons and also is the will of the people. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're going to kick off with that. Isabel Oakshot's here, Talk TV's international editor. We will also, of course, talk about the banking disasters that are going on. Uh, we'll talk about Keir Starmer, who wants to make people speak properly. Well, maybe he should start uh, in his own house, actually teach himself how to speak properly. Keir Starmer has a unique ability to speak and say nothing whatsoever at all of any point. Uh, when you listen to Keir Starmer, you immediately forget what he's saying. I don't know where he learned to do that, but it is quite a skill. 0344 499 1000. Joe Biden's coming here next week. We'll talk about that. Uh, EU laws apparently are to blame for some of these bank accounts being shut down, including uh, that of Nigel Farage, other members of the Brexit party, and all sorts of other people that they don't like the look of. Anti-trans people, apparently. That is a very interesting point. We'll be talking about all of that, plus the AI chatbot that told the Windsor intruder to kill the Queen. That's the front page uh, of the Daily Mail. We might get back into the dangerous caterpillar invasion that's going on as well. Uh, much else to do. Rod Little is here. We're going to be talking to Jonathan Gullis, MP. Uh, there's so much going on. 0344 uh, is the number. What about the police? What about the NHS? For heaven's sake, we want to hear from you, of course, because we uh, are the voice of common sense and you can give it to us. We had some great calls yesterday. We'd like to have some more uh, today as well. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on.
Wimbledon is back, of course, and uh, I can assume we'll see some more old-age pensioners from Just Stop Oil uh, throwing confetti around. I mean, they really need to give it a break and give it a rest, don't they? Um, unbelievable what's going on uh, in this country for all of that security. And I don't blame the security people for it. Um, but 10 hours waiting in a queue to get into Wimbledon, only to find that they didn't stop the people who were going to disrupt it anyway. Let's say a very good morning to Isabel Oakshaw. Isabel, how are you doing? Morning. I'm just Stop Oil's getting really boring now, Isn't aren't it? they? They really are. Thought, Why are they all old-age pensioners? I, well, they make me feel like an old-age pensioner, just having to listen to their twaddle the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's actually ageing our population, having to put up with them. I know. Um, I mean, I don't want to give them ideas, but the whole orange powder, orange confetti, orange theme is getting a bit dull now. And I think we should treat them a bit like Harry and Meghan. The less publicity, the better. Mm. Maybe we can just have some kind of pact not to report their stupid antics. And yes. then... Perhaps they'd shuffle off and do something constructive. It's a very odd phenomenon, isn't it, that these old gits have decided they've got so little to do that they might just get on a train and trundle up from the home counties um, and throw themselves on to Centre Court or wherever it is they're going. I mean, it's a very odd way to behave. If one of my elderly relatives was doing it, I think I'd lock them in their room and change the, <laughs> the keys and not let them out. Um, well, you know, Mike, haven't you realised that the whole future of the planet is at stake? And ah, yes. Whilst you're getting your woolly jumper on, I had the wood-burning stove on earlier this week. It was so damn cold. Yeah. You really need a reality check, Mike, because the planet is burning up yes. and we're all going to be doomed. Oh, yeah. But the, my, 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 my Twitter feed is full of uh, retired teachers who keep telling me uh, that I'm an idiot because I can't tell the difference between climate and weather. And what I've now worked out is that weather uh, is something that, uh, that they don't like and doesn't mean anything, whereas climate is something that they do like. So if it does get really hot, then that's climate change. If it rains and it's cold, that's not climate change. If you actually look up the definition of climate, it is weather patterns, yes. basically. So, I mean, my Twitter feed is exactly the same. Apparently, I'm far too stupid to be able to tell the difference, difference between climate and weather. I would put that back on them and say exactly the same. Mm, exactly. Whenever it's a bit hot and there's a heat wave, they're like, oh, my gosh, the world's going to end. And then it's bloody freezing. Right. And that apparently doesn't count. No, no, that's the wrong kind of weather, obviously. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, let's talk about the wrong kind of archbishop. Um, I don't know if you heard me <laughs> talking to, um, uh, to Kevin earlier. I was once in the House of Lords and these bishops suddenly all emerged from this doorway which was clearly the, the sort of holding pen for bishops. Um, and they were all going off into the chamber to vote on something. I don't know why they're in the House of Lords. I'm beginning to wonder why so many people are in the House of Lords. And I'm beginning to think maybe we should just find another way to get a second chamber. Oh, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I think a lot of uh, probably the vast majority of the population, if you ask them, if you if you set out what type of appointments were made, would have some pretty serious misgivings. Mm. The problem is that ultimately, constitutionally, the House of Lords has to vote on whether the House of Lords gets to continue to exist. Mm. And this basic fundamental problem has thwarted any attempts to get rid of the House of Lords for a very long time. Not that the Conservative government has tried, but the, but the Labour Party did uh, under Blair and Brown and basically gave up. Um, you know, I was wondering whether we're, we're boring on about the migrant boats. And actually, my conclusion reached within a few seconds is that this, we should make no apology for continuing to be really, really angry about mm. this. 
This is about basic competence or rather incompetence of this government. It's about national security and it's about what kind of country we want to be. And I don't believe that the vast majority of voters back open borders, which is something that no. so many in the Houses of Parliament seem to be proposing. Yeah, well, amazingly, I actually saw a YouGov poll, I think, yesterday, uh, which actually had asked um, a vast majority of the public, and YouGov polls are not exactly known for being right-wing in the results that they, that they produce, but they've actually found that most people in this country believe that migration is out of control, and we have let it get out of control, and they don't want it. Well, and, and that's obvious just from looking at, at, the, at the numbers. You know, we talk about this every week, and that's because despite the endless protestations from Rishi Sunak and his Home Secretary that they'll do whatever it takes and they won't rest until this is sorted, nothing ever gets better. And here's the other thing. I don't actually believe it when they say there's been slight dip in the figures, and in particular no. on Albanians, you know, they're trumpeting this triumph that actually um, migration, illegal migration across the channel um, by Albanians has completely tailed off. I don't believe that. I think there's something very fishy going on here. Potentially, um, the people traffickers have found a different route to get Albanians in. Yeah. Uh, that is something that I think that um, certainly as an investigative journalist, I want to get stuck into and see if I can smoke out what exactly is going on there, because I simply don't think it's credible that the Albanians have looked at the way this government handles illegal migration and have thought, oh, it's not worth trying anymore. Right. Um, they're still coming, I'm sure of it. Of course they are, because we know as well that the Albanians are controlling an awful lot of the drug business in this country. And quite often, if you look carefully around the country and you see uh, court cases being held uh, for people who have been growing vast quantities of, of cannabis, that's always an Albanian gang. You know, the cocaine business is run by the, by the Albanians. We saw that guy just at the beginning of the week, I think, uh, who's a, a serial burglar, uh, who's come back to this country twice illegally on a boat after twice being deported. And he's living high on the hog in a sort of spa hotel down in Cornwall, putting pictures up on his on his Instagram page. Yeah, I mean, some of this is so blatant, as is the, the money laundering and these illegal businesses all over the country, which are all linked to it. And they basically get away with it pretty much unchallenged. Yeah. As far as I can see, uh, like so many things, this government has put it in the box marked a little bit too difficult to bother trying to to tackle. Right. But also so, look at look at the way that the government is being hoodwinked, because the thing about these people smugglers is they're very clever. They're very smart. They've got an incredibly good uh, business model for what they do. And if there is some kind of uh, impediment to them bringing people from one country, they simply go to another. Because we were told that once the Albanian crackdown did begin, they started bringing people in from India because they've got routes literally all across Europe. And now uh, they're going to be giving out adverts to say to people, well, whatever you do, make sure you tell them you're LGBT and you won't be allowed to be sent home. Well, completely. And this is what is so frustrating about what happened in the House of Lords this week, where you've got peers, uh, unelected uh, people in the House of Lords who are trying to amend legislation that the majority of voters in this country fully and wholeheartedly back adding bits onto it, gold plating it um, in ways that are actually going to defeat the purpose. So yeah. encouraging anybody who's coming over on a on a boat to say, oh, I'm gay or I'm this or I'm that or I'm identifying as a cat today. Um, you know, these are easy ruses for anybody who's coming over here illegally to string out the whole sorry process mm. 
which we know already takes ages. The other thing you can do is simply pretend that you're from somewhere where you're not. Um, And even at the most best of most efficient of cases are taking months and months and months to process. If you start coming up with a whole raft of things that you are that might make you persecuted, you're pretty much assured to stay here. And they know this. Yes. Well, maybe the next line of attack they'll use is an AI bot told me to come here. Because uh, we've got a story this morning on the front page of the Daily Mail. Uh, the man who's up for treason. And I'm, so I'm nice to make a correction because I said I thought you could still be hanged for it. Apparently, Tony Blair did away with that particular punishment. So you can't be hanged for treason anymore. Um, but he's actually said, this guy, and Kevin O'Sullivan, I think, is right when he says that a lot of people are now going to start using this, that this chat bot told me to do it, to commit a crime. It's supposed to be kind and supposed to be a companion, but clearly something's gone wrong here. Have you read the um, the actual dialogue, which mm. is, is in many of the papers yeah. today? So when I first heard this story, I kind of thought, yeah, right, you know, that's a really feeble excuse. And of course it is. A, a, well, it's a, it's a very original excuse. I think we can give it that. But when you read the dialogue, and I would encourage anyone who um, who hasn't read it to have a look at this as to how this conversation played out between the guy that attempted or hoped to kill the Queen with a crossbow and a completely artificial persona uh, on his laptop or his computer. It is actually so disturbing because the software is so incredibly sophisticated that it's quite easy to imagine how a lonely and disturbed person begun to think that the person, that the, the fake, the artificial persona on his laptop was a real thing. Mm. And I can absolutely see this becoming a very significant problem. I can also see on the flip side how these um, bots, which are so sophisticated, become quite a crutch for lonely people. Um, because they are like having a friend. Yeah. Well, it's like these virtual girlfriends that people used to have. I don't know whether they still do. Um, but it was much easier to talk to them because they would basically tell you what you wanted to hear, um, and if, which unfortunately isn't really the case in real life, generally speaking. Um, <laughs> you can do it, said the bots, and we can find a way. And as you say, if you are a sort of slightly, um, you know, uh, unhinged individual, you can become completely obsessed with something like that. Yes, and they and they reassure you. I mean, these bots are actually kind of programmed, I suppose, initially for, for good and benign reasons, yeah. make you feel good about yourself and whatever it is that you're planning to do. Unfortunately, um, the, the inventors of the technology didn't quite foresee that this could go very wrong if somebody is planning to do all sorts of dreadful things. Um, now, it seems to me that given how clever the technology is, it shouldn't be too difficult for it to be adapted. Mm. So these things, if we really want them, can still be encouraging to the lonely and desperate and give them a bit of um, reassurance, a bit of almost counselling, I suppose, um, whilst acting pretty promptly whenever the words, things like kill or murder or end, or, you know, there Mm. are certain words that could trigger a different response. Yes, I think so. But I mean, it'd be be good if they could in some way, uh, I suppose, program them and not to encourage people to kill the queen, you know, or the king or whoever it is that they're also encouraging people to kill. I want to get on to the banking story in a moment, uh, Isabel. Just stay where you are if you wouldn't mind. Uh, Keir Starmer also wants to put working class Brits ahead of the system. Uh, I wonder if he knows any. Um, Also, of course, we'll be talking about the banking business. It turns out the European Union uh, have played a part in all of these banks bank accounts getting closed down. We'll be back with more from Isabel Oakshaw after this. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. As a bloke shots with us, Talk TV's international editor. Let's talk a bit about uh, the European Union uh, and this bank account business that's been going on. Nigel Farage kind of alerted everybody to it a few days ago. Since then, it's kind of exploded as we've become uh, 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 more understanding of the way banking policy has changed, Isabel, because I didn't have any idea. Some people who know more about these things than me have told me I should have had an idea uh, that they'd all signed up to this stonewall sort of declaration about gender identity no i didn't know that either actually i mean it has been strange the way the story has taken off because um our talk tv colleague richard tice leader of the reform party first raised this issue quite some time ago after he had issues finding uh, banking services for the reform mm. party he publicly raised the issue and he wrote to andrew bailey um, who didn't bother replying the uh, governor of the bank of england yeah. Um, and nobody really picked up on the story. Um, and I think it's a testament, actually, to Nigel Farage's social media reach yeah. uh, and the video that he put out, that the story really suddenly started to get the traction that it deserved. And then suddenly, you know, lots of others were coming forward to talk about the way they had been essentially cancelled by their own banks. The other dimension to this, which I think has has been less reported on, uh, is the ESG, so-called ESG requirements mm. that lenders now have. You know, again, this is all part of a sort of corporate virtue signalling, uh, where everybody that they uh, offer lending services to, they ask must tick certain boxes uh, on ESG, environmental and social governance. Um, now, if you're an individual, this can be quite difficult. You know, plenty of people are uh, limited companies or sole traders. They don't have ESG policies. You know, for example, I'm just me. I don't have a climate change policy. Right. Thank you. So <laughs> it's rapidly heading to um, hoping it will get a bit warmer or maybe I'll move somewhere a bit hotter. Right. But if you don't tick those boxes, you can be declined lending services. Mm. So this stuff is actually all over our corporations and has a very real impact on people's lives. And it sort of treats individuals or small companies often as if they have the same kind of um, power and infrastructure as enormous organisations who have the resources to create ESG policies. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, it was a few months ago that I suddenly spotted on my banking app um, that I could, if I wished, have them calculate my carbon footprint. And I was going, sorry, how do you do that then? And they basically take a number uh, and think of another number and then categorize and then sort of told me that I'd spent the amount, the equivalent of, or I'd used the equivalent energy of something like 3,500 mobile telephones over the course of the last month, which meant nothing to me at all. It was of no use to me. It was all completely and utterly made up because they took the view that if you spent money on something like, I don't know, um, um, a, 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 something in a, in a department store, then that would have a particular footprint. If you bought food, that would have another footprint. If you bought, if you if you bought petrol, that you know, and it was just very arbitrary. But I don't know what they're doing with that information and whether they're compiling some kind of um, tally of you know my evilness. Well, and that is a really really important point because what's the ultimate expression of this? It's what goes on in communist China, where you have what's called a social yeah. credit system, right. where the government effectively monitors everything you do, and that's barely an exaggeration, 
and gives you a, a score. Uh, and if you do naughty things like, you know, speed or um, break certain basic rules, um, then you get punished for that. You suddenly find that you're not allowed to do certain mm. things. Now, that sounds as if it's some kind of, you know, extreme 1984 Orwellian type thing, which would never happen here. Um, but I think that we are creeping towards that in a different sort of way, ironically, not led by governments, but led by these mighty corporations. Yeah. And they have got uh, the, the technology. And again, another sort of piece of information that I discovered uh, just recently, I was over in Cyprus um, playing golf with my son. And it was a very sort of long golf course. So we had a buggy because you can walk around it. And the buggy, uh, if you went the wrong way, actually stopped. You know, if you, if you went off wow. the chosen path, the, the, the engine cut and a warning came up and said, please reverse because you've gone the wrong way. And I was like... How are they doing that? And I know that, you know. I love that. I mean, that's basically a symbol for everything that's happening to us as a society, isn't it? If you try to go the wrong way, yeah. you know, the way that this government and all the people, the Stonewall lot and all mm. the other shriekers uh, think that is not the right path for us all, you simply get blocked. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, but that's the first physical action block that I've ever had. It's extraordinary. And we must keep an eye on it. We really must. What do you think of um, Keir Starmer? I know we've got a couple of other things to get to before we, before we finish this morning. Keir Starmer pledging to put working class Brits ahead of the system that's rigged against them. I'm not really joking when I say, does he know anybody who's in the working classes? Well, I don't know if he does, but I thought your point earlier about his, his idea of teaching people to speak. Um, and I don't know exactly what's what's planned on that front is is fundamentally a really good one mm. you know you know we can easily parody it and say it's ridiculous but ultimately you know being articulate and and the way you present yourself is far more important than what qualifications yeah. you have and often people are disadvantaged from the very very word go because they don't make eye contact they can't stand up and address a room and they've never had the education that would help them do that. So I think actually is a very worthy idea and there should be much more of that in schools rather than concentrating on um, all sorts of outdated bits of education that aren't actually mm. very practical, helping people present, teaching children how to present themselves, giving them the confidence to do public speaking, that sort of thing is absolutely critical mm. to career success. Um, but you are right in terms of the content of what anyone is saying. I actually can't remember anything that Keir Starmer's no. ever really said. No. It just is like this kind of gigantic splodge of grey paint, isn't it? There's it no is. picture there. It's as if there's just a kind of pile of grey mush. Uh, and that is certainly not the way in which to convince people um, that they want to employ yeah. you in this the nation that they want to employ him as prime minister. I mean, he is, is he, he's the sort of diametrically opposite, uh, whatever it is, thing to captivating. He's absolutely not captivating at all. Um, finally, let's talk about the Tories. We're going to talk to Jonathan Gullis coming up about uh, uh, the, the boats and the, and the illegal migrant problem. Um, but you're wondering whether too many Tories have already given up on their sort of careers as politicians. Yeah, there's a really interesting um, opinion piece in the Daily Mail today by Jason Groves, their political editor, essentially saying that parliamentary business seems to be sort of petering out to such an extent that the Speaker Lindsay Hoyle, who's a very um, good and fair speaker, unlike some of his predecessors, yeah. 
is allowing all sorts of, you know, frankly, quite marginal debates under the um, under the auspices of them being urgent questions, um, just to sort of string out business so that we don't get the spectacle of MPs clocking off mid-afternoon and rolling off down to the pub because there's nothing much doing in mm. the House of Commons. Uh, and you can sort of, you feel this. I think voters up and down the country sense it, that this government is marking time. Yeah know they're doomed they know that there's only uh, one outcome likely to the next election um and they're just sort of you know waiting for the the doomsday uh, next year and you, you sort of slightly think oh you know it'd be nice either that you took one of two options bring the election forward they're never going to do that or let's have a hurtling last push to actually achieve some mm. good things before the day of reckoning. Yeah, you would think even in the very least, if you were a genuine Conservative, you'd want to put some laws in place that the Labour Party government, if it is to be the next government, right. would have to unpick in some way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, set a, a bed of nails for mm. them, their lefty views, and when they come in, make it very, very difficult for them, tie them up in knots for the first couple of years of their administration, just trying to yeah. unravel the good stuff that the Tories have done. Um, but no, none of this is happening. All we hear is their endless determination to do this and that, none of which ever no, materialises. No. Well, I should put all this to Jonathan Gullis to see what he makes of it all. Isabel, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor there, talking a great deal of sense about great many things. Keir Starmer, and by the way, is going to be making a speech coming up very shortly, where apparently he's going to set out his fifth and final mission for a better Britain. Uh, he's going to be talking about that. Uh, we'll bring you some of that uh, as it happens right here live on Talk TV. Next, though, Jonathan Gullis. Dallas MP from Stoke-on-Trent will be here. We'll ask him of whether the Tories are just running out the clock. Are they? This is Talk TV. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk TV. Uh, Keir Starmer's going to be speaking shortly. Um, I don't know whether we want to hear it, do we? Um, but there's somebody else speaking at the moment. I don't know who that is. Um, we'll find out, of course, uh, what his mission is for a better Britain. Apparently he wants to put working class Brits ahead of the system, which is rigged against them. Uh, first, he's going to have to find some working class people, of course, uh, and that way maybe uh, he'll be able to tell them what he thinks of them. Uh, and he'll be able to explain to them why he doesn't know what a woman is. I'm sure they'll be very happy to hear that. Uh, but see, here comes Sir Keir Starmer. But uh, let's talk to Jonathan Gullis instead, uh, who will probably be far more interesting. Conservative MP for Stoke-on-Trent. Um, Jonathan, um, a very, very good uh, morning to you. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Good yeah, to speak to you. Very well. I'm sorry that uh, Keir Starmer's sort of in the background. They're all uh, clapping him. He's standing in a lectern. He's wearing a red tie and a black jacket. Uh, I'm not quite sure what he's talking about, but he's going to be setting out his mission for a better Britain. Um, before we start, uh, Isabel Oakeshott made an interesting point. There's a piece in the mail today by Jason Groves talking about how he's a bit worried that some Tory MPs are just kind of playing out the clock and they're not really getting enough done in the final kind of months of, of, of what will be the last parliament before the next election, I suppose. Do you think he's got a point? Well, actually, I think what is happening is a lot of MPs at the moment are out taking part in the by-elections. They're obviously working hard in their own constituencies, like I am this week up here in Stoke-on-Trent, North, Kidsgrove and Talk. But more importantly, we know that there's going to be a King's speech coming uh, after the summer recess. And I think that's a really important opportunity for the Prime Minister to set out a very big, brave and bold agenda that we need in order to make sure there's a very clear distinction between us and the Labour Party, offer the country some hope. I think after what has been a very tumultuous three and a half years, people want to hear and see and feel 
positivity and that there's new ideas and new thinking. And this is a big opportunity for the Prime Minister to set out that agenda. And I hope that he will. And as you know, Mike, earlier this week, we had the new Conservatives, which I'm proud to be part of, co-led by Danny Kruger and Miriam Cates, excellent members of Parliament, uh, our plan on immigration. And we hope that the Prime Minister will adopt those 12-point plan, that 12-point plan, so that we can make sure we deliver on the promise that we made in 2019 to the British electorate. Well, the problem for Rishi Sunak, though, is he does keep promising things, but he doesn't seem to then follow that through. And his uh, his, his his popularity has now gone into the negative, uh, as you were seeing the other day from Conservative Home. And I think a lot of that has to do with what he's saying and what he's actually doing, because, you know, his five-point plan to stop the boats and to bring down inflation and to reduce the waiting times at NHS uh, hospitals and all of that, you know, it all sounds great, but he has to make it look like it's happening. Otherwise, I don't think anybody believes a word he says. Oh, look, I totally agree with you, Mike. If we don't deliver on those five promises made by the Prime Minister at the start of this year, and obviously he said to judge him by the end of 2023, um, where we got to those five pledges, then I think the Conservative Party will uh, be on the receiving end of a good kicking at the next general election, which I hope obviously won't happen, because actually I think that a Labour Party that has been very obscure, very fluffy, I mean, Sir Keir Starmer today is talking about education. He'll talk of things like we need to improve critical thinking in young people without actually saying that you need to have a deep knowledge of a subject to be able to then critically analyse anything. They'll talk about uh, other things. Like he says, the working class has the system rigged against them, despite the fact we have a free education system to the age of 18. And in fact, if you don't get a level three qualification, you now get a lifelong learning entitlement to get a free level three qualification. So it's just more nonsense and virtue signalling from the Labour Party and Keir Starmer. Whereas at least the Prime Minister has put his cards on the table. We know where he stands. And obviously the British public will be able to judge us at the end of this year. Yeah, absolutely right. And what about the House of Lords? Because they're back in the news today after uh, some shenanigans there last night, led by uh, Archbishop Wokeby, as we like to call him here at Talk TV. Uh, he's saying basically that uh, the government needs a different policy, but he's not giving them any idea of what that policy should be. Um, I've said this morning, it's a bit like him getting up and saying, blessed are the human traffickers. You know, because he thinks it's a Christian thing to help criminal gangs bring people here illegally at the risk of their own lives. Well, it's just a sh shame that the Archbishop, when he was working at Liverpool Cathedral, as reported in the Daily Mail back in 2011, didn't think it was the Christian thing to stand up against pedo priests who had obviously sexually abused one of the congregation. And actually, when that complaint was made to Archbishop Welby, he ended up banning the victim of this horrific crime from the cathedral for allegedly being abusive. Obviously, this individual needed support and love from a Christian community and was failed by the uh, by the Archbishop. And I know that there's been calls for an investigation into his failure, and I certainly support those calls. And I think the Archbishop needs to actually get out of uh, the House of Lords, maybe actually go and spend some time preaching from the pulpit about God rather than politics. Yeah. And actually understand that the YouGov poll that you uh, reported on yesterday shows 61% of all UK adults think immigration is too high. 40% of Labour voters think immigration is too high. 44% of Remain voters, Mike, who are supporters of free movement, think immigration is too high. So yeah. I don't know what the Archbishop is not quite getting, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, he's obviously not quite getting uh, reality because what he's doing is he's believing uh, the kind of propaganda of the new left, uh, which seems to be led by Carol Vorderman and Gary Lineker, uh, who say every Tory is an evil person and all uh, migrants must be good people, so we must let them all in. I mean, it's as simple as that, really, isn't it? Well, exactly. I think, sadly, the celebrity class that we're seeing, and we know that Keir Starmer's been hiring celebrities or trying to, to obviously push Labour values as he sees it, actually just leads to a torrent of online abuse. And, you know, God forbid a Conservative MP calls out one of these people who uses such profanity that you couldn't even probably say it beyond the 9pm, uh, you know, curfew, right. as it were, uh, in order to repeat the words. I've certainly been 
on the receiving end of it and seen it acted out uh, against my own family, sadly, with horrible things written on my car when my partner's been out with really? my children. Uh, and I, I, I've been down in Westminster. So I think it's just terribly sad. That's and disgusting, isn't it? I mean, what has happened to our political discourse that people think that that's OK to do? Well, exactly, Mike. Look, I'm known for being probably one of the most robust MPs and, you know, and I'll absolutely call the Labour Party out on their hypocrisy, yeah. but I've never actually uh, deemed any harm or uh, uh, violence against them. In fact, I think it's great to have debate. That's what politics is about. We're meant to get in to a bit of a uh, tussle every now and again over the policy and the politics. But actually, I get on with ma- Labour members of Parliament as well as actually Scottish national members yeah. of Parliament as well. And actually, it's just sad to see that these celebrity activists who are just so desperate for likes on Twitter will, yeah. you know, say per, uh, perverse things, will say abusive things without actually any real understanding of what the issues are, how yeah. to solve them. And they are, they, they are really whipping up not. a very poisonous kind of atmosphere. And for all of the be kind hashtags that they put on their uh, uh, on their social media um, profiles, you know, they're, they're pretty ghastly individuals. Well, Mike, what amazes me is that, of course, when some of these very abusive people online talk about their mental health struggles, uh, they expect everyone on Twitter to rally around them. Yeah. Yet they're happy to pour vile and abuse upon people like myself who have been very open about the fact that I have my own, uh, had had my own mental health difficulties and took, uh, you know, made two attempts on my life uh, when I was a teenager. Still to this day, obviously, work hard to look after and protect my own mental health as mm. well. And actually running a campaign called No Time to Wait with my friend James Starkey to try and get mental health nurses and GP surgery. So rather than them pouring poison on Twitter, why don't they actually get behind campaigns like yeah. mine, which would improve the access and speed up the support for people who need help rather than virtue signaling for fake likes uh, on yeah, Twitter. Absolutely right. And also, by the way, you do happen to have been elected in a democratic process, unlike any of these characters uh, who, if they did stand for election, uh, would probably go down to about eighth place and lose their deposit. Well, yes, exactly. I suspect that even uh, uh, some of the uh, more interesting people, like Elmo, who has run before elections, would do better than some of these celebrity <laughs> types. And uh, I just think it's just a shame that they haven't quite understood that, you know, just be, they, their platform is actually, yes, one to create debate and discussion, absolutely entitled to do that. But why not try and uh, perpetuate the virtues that they wish to see in politics by acting in the way that they should be behaving as well, they should set the tone and the example. I think it's just mm. terribly sad. But sadly, as you say, the Archbishop of Canterbury and other members of the House of Lords have fallen into this trap of thinking that Twitter represents uh, all the views of the United Kingdom and that if you're liked on Twitter, you won't get cancelled in society and that you'll have lots of people telling you how great you are. And, you know, they fall for its uh, hook, line and sinker. So, you know, this is ultimately, I think, what we've got to challenge. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The other big story I wanted to ask you about this week, it looks like Just Stop Oil have just turned up, by the way, at the Labour Party conference. Uh, I thought they had the same policies, but that's another story. Um, apparently, um, the banking sector uh, seems to have taken it upon themselves to decide that they're going to be judge and jury and executioner uh, of people's thoughts and people's beliefs and people's politics. Um, the government needs to do something about this, I think, I think and, and the government has said they will do something about it. But are they going to do something about it? Well, Andrew Griffiths, the minister responsible for this, I know, is taking this very seriously. And it's very concerning to see that banks are now somehow monitoring what people's views are on issues. When actually, I just want them to look after my money. What I'd like banks to do is actually pass on the higher interest rates to savers uh, rather than actually just profiteering shamelessly uh, and then hitting people in their pockets on mortgages when actually they could swallow some of the pain themselves. So I think that we want to see less virtue signalling uh, from banks and actually more proaction. I've mm. been with that since I opened up my first ever bank account as a teenager. Uh, I'm pleased to say that I've had a good service, but I tell you what, if 
they don't like what I've got to say. That's not their business. Mm. Their job is to look after my money to make sure that I can therefore pay my bills, support my children in what I need to do. And uh, I think it'd be good for politicians from all across the political divide to unite behind this because it is something we should be deeply mm. concerned about. Yes, absolutely. Jonathan, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. And very interesting about that campaign. We should talk some more about that. Uh, let's get you back on soon. Jonathan Gullis, Conservative MP for Stoke-on-Trent. Total respect to that man, says Jonathan, uh, in Newport. Uh, let's have Jonathan Gullis for Prime Minister, an honest politician speaking his mind. Well, listen, uh, that's rare. And it's a good thing. And that's why we like to have Jonathan on uh, from time to time. We'll get him back on again. Let's go and have a listen uh, to Sakir Starmer, uh, who's out there speaking at Gillingham College this morning, talking about making Britain better. We're not part of their future. This hurt him. Whenever anyone asked that old question, what do you do for a living? I could see him visibly pull away. He felt looked down on, disrespected. It chipped away at his esteem. Now, I'm not going to pretend the Thatcher government invented this kind of snobbery. In truth, it's always been there. But what happened back then is that our economy fundamentally changed. And the complacency that we didn't need to educate all our children because they could just leave school at 16 and get a good job in their community, that was exposed almost overnight. And this cultural bruise is still with us. And we have to confront it. The last Labour government had the best record on education in the history of our country without question. We expanded higher education, fundamentally raised school standards, gave millions of working class children, children of all backgrounds, the tools to thrive in a new knowledge economy. We'll come back with uh, some more of Keir Starmer's speech. Uh, he's talking about making Britain better. Did he actually just blame Margaret Thatcher for something there? I mean, she hasn't been in for a while, Keir. This is Talk TV. Bite, providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. I'll talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got some great calls coming in and we're going to get to all of you as closely uh, as we can, as soon as we can. Coming up in this hour, Bill Wigan uh, is here, Sir Bill Wigan no less, uh, to talk to us about what happened last night uh, in the House of Lords, why Archbishop Wokeby is sticking his oar in and what he should be doing to actually help the homeless and what he should be doing to help the poor and the impoverished of this nation before he starts putting out the begging bowl and saying that we need to actually help the human traffickers who are bringing people here uh, at vast expense, making an absolute fortune out of it uh, and being criminals, uh, they shouldn't really be being welcomed here at all, should they? 0344 499 1000. Also, uh, we're going to talk to Di Davis, former head of Royal Protection. He's got plenty to say uh, about the story on the front page of the Mail today about an AI bot which basically told the man who wanted to kill the Queen that he could do it. And he said, let's find a way, said this bot. And so it's going to be a whole new area of criminal activity, it looks like, where people are going to be told and encouraged to commit crimes by a sort of imaginary friend, if you like, because that's really what these AI bots are like. Also, Alex Sabin joins us uh, in the next hour, a little bit later on, former First Minister of Scotland. Uh, he's going to talk a bit about the uh, ancient ceremony that took place up in Scotland yesterday where King Charles was basically handed uh, the honours of Scotland uh, with a new £22,000 sword. We'll also get his view on the House of Lords and whether it needs to be reformed one way or the other. We'll also take a quick trip over to Ukraine with Hamish de Bretton-Gordon, former British Army colonel, to find out what the 
latest situation is there. We'll also keep you updated uh, with that uh, accident that's happened down uh, in southwest London in Wimbledon, where a Land Rover appears to have run into a school uh, in some way, shape or form. Several people being treated at the scene. We don't know yet what the situation is. We don't know yet whether it was an accident and we don't know yet whether any children were actually involved. Also, um, let's have a look at a protester uh, because even Keir Starmer is not immune uh, from the nutters from the uh, Just Stop Oil Brigade. This particular character uh, didn't have a Just Stop Oil banner, uh, but he was protesting against environmental policies pushed out uh, by the leader of the opposition. Have a look. Not just the economic growth. I gave my vote on the mission on uh, green power. We did that last one. We've done that one. We've just. We are on the side of economic growth. Will you just let me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, that the Labour Party is so lax at getting rid of the people who come up on the stage. I mean, he's trying to say, look, I'll talk to you later. Uh, to be fair to Kirsten, we dealt with it pretty well. But they're still shouting and moaning and groaning on about the green pledges that he's made and now broken. He says, I think, about the $28 billion that he said he was going to spend uh, in the North Sea, uh, kind of rehabilitating all the oil and gas fields and turning them all into wind farms. He's not doing it now, or at least he's not doing it straight away. Let's talk to Sir Bill Wigan, a Conservative MP for North Herefordshire. Sir Bill, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Lovely to be on your show. And did you notice that the protesters were holding banners yes. saying no more U-turns? Yes, I did. But no wonder they had to be escorted off. <laughs> Poor Keir wouldn't have anything to do otherwise. Well, I mean, he does do laugh, He I'm does afraid. do quite a lot of U-turning, doesn't he? I mean, this morning uh, he's, he's, making, the he's making his, uh, his speech about uh, education, where he's talking about uh, helping the working classes because apparently the system is rigged against them. Well, how would he know, would be my question. <laughs> well, I think um, I think that given what's going on, you know, the the Labour Party really haven't expressed any policy at all, and when they do, they give up on it. Mm. And so um, I suspect that given the um, uh, vociferous opposition that you and uh, I think it was Mr. O'Sullivan put up this morning, because yes. I was listening to you earlier. Um, uh, I suspect that one will 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 soon be abandoned as well, which, which is a shame because actually being able to say what you think, 
sensibly and uh, in an erudite fashion really does empower ah, people. You've actually, I think you've, you've, you've fallen upon something there, possibly accidentally, which is actually more important because with, well, Keir, Starmer, with Keir Starmer, it's not so much about whether you speak well or not. In the Labour Party, there are things you're not allowed to say. Right. Yeah. For example, uh, if you become somebody that they regard as an enemy of the trans movement, you will be silenced. If you can't, if you think that women can't have a penis, um, you know, you're not welcome to join them at any of their sort of shindigs. So it's interesting that you say that because I think far more important than the way you speak is what you are allowed to say. Well, no more U-turns seem to me to be a very reasonable request from Labour uh, supporters. And, and you know, they, they always position the shot so they have people of, of every shape and size yes. in the background. And, and, oops, that didn't go so well, did it? It really did. I did chuckle up. But to be honest, I must admit, I was quite shocked at how long it took anybody to remove them. You know, because... Well, they, they were right. Well, they may have been no right. No more U-turns. Yeah, but they're also green nutters, though, so they're also talk, talking about, you know, getting rid of all the oil and gas fields in, in the North Sea, which are actually I quite don't think, profitable. I don't think people realise quite how serious that is, particularly yeah. for pensioners. You know, the, the, the large number of people who live in the countryside who have no access to the mains gas grid mm. and who really do need to be able to use um, fossil fuels because there is no alternative, uh, really do need to be protected and and Labour have forgotten them uh, and therefore um, I'm very sympathetic. Yeah, I mean, there's an protesters. awful lot of, of rural properties in this country, um, particularly in Northern Ireland, um, that rely solely on oil and they yep. can't actually change that overnight. They can't suddenly go, oh, I know, uh, why don't you just get rid of the oil uh, um, um, sort of barrel that you've got and turn it into a heat pump and that will only cost you 18 grand. You know, nobody could afford it. And then you, you have no control over the price of electricity either. No. So I think it, it's really worrying. And I, I have had a debate about this. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, we're in a very interesting time at the moment because the government needs to be, in my opinion, more conservative. We need to stop borrowing so much money. If we stop borrowing so much money, interest rates will come down. If interest rates come down, people will have more more of their own money to spend, and that will help them uh, fight the inflationary pressures, which are being exacerbated by claims for 35% pay increases by our doctors. Yeah. Well, can, so I think can, I think we need to really um, start shrinking the size of the civil service, so the government doesn't need to borrow right. so much more money. Can we also stop wasting money, please, on yes, mi please. migrants yes. who are going into hotels? You know, the latest estimate <sighs> is if that we carry on this trajectory, we'll be spending 32 million a day. It's unbelievable. And, and in my constituency, they are now looking at a, at a hotel that is really not suitable for habitation. Mm. So the, they've used up all the good ones, and now it's getting really desperate. I, I wonder whether, whether people um, like the Archbishop, who are against uh, Rwanda, are really thinking about what the alternatives are, because sooner or later, um, we're going to have to start sending people to other countries. And... The first one that springs to mind is Ukraine. Yes. And uh, they could they could take some weapons with them and, and resist the Russians. Yeah, well, that's not, not a bad idea. But, I mean, They're seriously, not NATO troops, after all. Seriously speaking, you know, we've got the House of Lords, uh, Archbishop Wokeby, as I like to call him, leading the charge, saying that he doesn't, he's not happy about this, uh, helping um, people uh, who actually live in this country to make sure that other people can't come here illegally, and if they do, they can be actually deported. Instead, he thinks, blessed, uh, and I'm sorry to keep going on about this, but blessed are the human traffickers. 
you know, he seems to think that it's the, not, it's the Christian thing to do to encourage criminal activity, uh, to encourage gangs of, of basically of people smugglers to be able to make a massive profit by bringing people here, sometimes against their will, um, at their own risk. Well, the thing I always say to um, uh, bishops is, you know, these are young, impressionable young people coming over in rubber dinghies. How many of them are you converting to yeah. Christianity? Right. This is a golden opportunity to right. let them get to heaven. That's what we believe in. And they get very embarrassed. And the answer is they're not making any effort to convert them whatsoever. No. And, and, yet, and yet they know that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. So for goodness sake, let's, uh, let's make use of this. And, and that makes them very uh, twitchy. And that's why keeping them in the House of Lords is a very good thing. Um, and and I, th I think it's an excellent place to keep bishops and it stops them from uh, spreading their political nonsense through the pulpits and gives them direct access to government and a, and a very loud voice in our parliamentary process, which I, I, I think is excellent. Well, I've got a better idea. You're a knight. So why don't you just take the bishop uh, and dispatch him into the bin? Sadly, not a chess match. Ah, well, if only it were. But look, here's the thing. Um, if you were actually uh, in a position to say, let's reform the House of Lords, there's too many people in it, there's too many Lib Dems in it. I had a little spat, so right. I had a little so spat right. with some bloke called Lord Renard the other day who took it upon himself to suggest <laughs> that uh, television shows and television channels like Talk TV should be shut down, basically. Uh, to which I said, well, that's a very interesting uh, point of view, considering you've never been elected, you've never stood for office, you now sit in the House of Lords uh, getting fat on taxpayers' money. Uh, and oh, I think not, he was up to other things. Well, well let's not mention not let's, a, a let's not mention record. some of the allegations made against him while he yes. was the leader of the Lib Dems. Uh, several of my friends, some of them in the House of Lords, actually pointed that out to me. So I think uh, he wants to look out standing, standing as he does in a glass house. I think he ought to be very careful who he throws stones at. I think you're absolutely right. I once voted to abolish the House of Lords. Can we not just abolish uh, Lord Renard? Well, no, I think uh, I think that would be a great shame. He's a source of endless entertainment uh, uh, in so many ways. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, and, a, and a classic example of, of uh, listen to what I say and don't do yes, what I do. Yes, great fun at parties, I understand. Uh, I wouldn't go to those sort of parties, thank you very much. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, keeping them all in the House of Lords is a good thing. Mm. Um, and um, I think uh, if we're going to reform it, then, you know by all means reduce the size yeah. but when you look at the people uh, who are there quite often it's the hereditary peers with the least democratic mandate mm. who actually do some of the best work so um, it's one of those things where uh, be careful what you wish for because you might well end up with something much, much worse. Yes, no, indeed. Now, one question which I put to Jonathan Gullis, I'm going to put to you as well. Piece of the mail today, if you've seen it by Jason Groves, who says far too many Tory MPs have already given up on the next election. And Richie Sunak needs to, uh, to shake them out of their torpor before it's too late. And there's a sense, I think, that um, uh, there's a sort of marking of time going on. Um, and that basically, um, we're told that the business of the House of Commons has kind of slowed down to almost a trickle. Is that what you're finding? I find that really frustrating because uh, in my constituency, there is plenty we need to do. And, and uh, we touched earlier on um, the arrival of these single young men who are looking to work here uh, in the asylum system. Um, I think that my sense from when I've been canvassing and out in my patch is that, that, that we want more 
conservative policies and my colleagues are very willing to deliver those and so i'm looking to rishi who i think is a wonderful prime minister to reshuffle the team so that our ministerial colleagues get on with delivering what we know works and that means growing our economy cutting our debts mm. Uh, fighting inflation, stopping the boats, and uh, cutting waiting lists for hospitals. So his five pledges are spot on. Well, they well, are, but nothing's ch- nothing's What I want to see is them happening. Well, Absolutely. exactly. Well, I mean, nothing's and, happened. And that means, that means a, a, a pointed uh, prime ministerial boot to a variety of civil servants and ministerial bottoms. And if need be, let's have some action from people right. who are willing well, let's to take them. Let's take them one at a time. And, and I, unpleasant decisions is what it's all about. Well, it is. It's, you've got to be tough. I mean, let's look at, you know, the Bank of England and inflation. The Bank of England oh, is too goodness. busy telling everybody that uh, uh, anybody who's any of any gender can have a child and then can be pregnant. Uh, they don't understand inflation. Andrew Bailey says he can't control it. Um, the doctors are saying that they're not going to bring the waiting list down unless they get a load more money. Uh, so they're sort of holding the government to ransom. The Just Stop the Boats campaign has not worked because there's even more people coming now than there were before he said it. Um, And, you know, as far as um, the idea that uh, you're going to get the economy growing again, surely the only way to get that done is to cut people's taxes, let them have more money to spend and let them actually get on with uh, the business of business. Well, I think I think the um, cutting the taxes and, and giving them more money is actually inflationary. But I don't mind because it's in principally correct. What I want to see is the government spending less money which means that we don't have to increase your tax take. And if the government spent less money, if the civil service was smaller, then people would be more focused in getting on with their jobs, yeah. or they can go and work in the private sector and put money into the pot instead of being paid out of tax and therefore taking money out. Yes. So in, in my opinion, I wouldn't necessarily immediately uh, abolish inheritance tax, although that would be near the top of my list. I would, uh, I would look to... I don't care about inheritance tax, I care about income trigger. tax. Yep, that too. I don't mind. I don't like any taxes. So let's make sure that uh, we actually deliver on those five pledges. And if that means taking difficult decisions, the best example of which is leaving the ECHR, mm. then, then we'll have to do it. Yeah. Because time is running out. And what everybody's forgotten is all these left-wing agitators, which you listed very neatly, think that they're going to get more from a Labour government. So all these strikes are the writing on the wall for what you can expect if you don't vote Conservative at the next election. Hmm, absolutely you know, right. If you want the NHS to work, then you know, paying people to go on strike is really a very bad way to do it. Absolutely right. Uh, Sir Bill Wigan MP, well said. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll take more of your calls coming up. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call. Uh, coming up, we're going to be going uh, to Hamish de Bretton Gordon to find out what's going on uh, in that nuclear plant in uh, over in Ukraine, uh, Zaporizhia, uh, where once again uh, there's threats that it might get blown up. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots to do today and lots of uh, you want to talk to me. So we will get to you uh, as soon as we possibly can. 0344 499 1000. Christine in Surrey says, Mike, Biden and Obama both hate the UK. The bonus for Obama is he gets to operate Biden's strings. He gives himself a laugh a day by making Biden's trip uh, or walk in the morning uh, in the wrong direction. It generally looked like a total embarrassment. Well, you know, it's interesting because, of course, um, uh, you heard Kevin O'Sullivan this morning on the Mike and Kev show at 9.30, back tomorrow at 9.30, by the way. Um, You heard Kev say that uh, Joe Biden was overheard the other day walking around at some event that he was at saying to his aides, why am I here? (laughs) 
Deary me. Uh, Dear Mike, says Sarah in West Sussex, I've literally just been on YouTube to find Charlie Brown's teacher. Your caller, William, is absolutely right. It is Keir Starmer. It's hysterical. Have we got that yet for Sarah in West Sussex? Come on, guys. We need the YouTube clip of uh, uh, Charlie, um, Charlie Brown's teacher. Can't be too difficult to do. People are finding it all over the place. Uh, let's talk to Di Davis, though, former head of Royal Protection, uh, because this morning's uh, front pages are full of this particular story. Um, a self-styled assassin caught with a crossbow in the grounds of Windsor Castle was encouraged to kill the late Queen by his AI girlfriend. Now, this is going to be something that, again, as we described earlier on this morning, uh, is going to happen more and more, because more and more people are finding themselves um, embroiled with these AI chatbots. I mean, I can't say I've ever had anything to do with them. I, the one thing we tried to do, I think, was to get that um, the chat scenario to write an essay about me, and they got most of it wrong. Um, Jaswant Singh Chail uh, is going to be sentenced, I believe, um, later on today. Um, he's at the Old Bailey. And uh, he basically said that it was the chatbot that made him do it. Encouraged him, said it was very wise for his plan to go ahead. Said uh, motivating his fantasy, told him, you can do it. We have to find a way, said the chatbot. Di, a very good morning to you. This is a bit weird, isn't it? Well, extremely weird. And I don't understand why this man is at the old Bailey. He's completely mental. Yeah. Why are we wasting so much public money prosecuting him under the 1842 Act? which was brought in after Queen Victoria was attacked on the second time. Uh, the original guy, John Francis, was uh, sentenced to be hung, drawn and quartered. Huh. Well, Mr. Singh is very lucky he's not in the Victorian times. But they, they changed it and eventually Francis was deported instead of being hung, drawn and yes. quartered. But they brought it in to, precisely for this kind of offence. But I would argue this guy is clearly mentally ill yes. and he's in Broadmoor. Well, why not just keep him there until some psychiatrist and some of them need looking at, in my opinion, decide he's fit to be released? I mean, he's completely off his trolley. So to prosecute him, send him to the old Bailey, in my opinion, is crazy. Well, it's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because I remember sitting uh, in the courtroom when Jeffrey Dahmer was on trial uh, in the United States, in, um, uh, in Milwaukee, back in the sort of early 90s. And the first thing they did was determine whether or not he was sane enough to stand trial. And we, as kind of British journalists, were looking at ourselves going, looking at each other going, hang on a minute, this is a guy who's killed people, he's dismembered them, he's cut them up, he's had sex with them after they were dead, and then he's eaten them. Um, are you seriously going to tell me that he's sane? And, of course, the judge in the case ruled that he was sane because he did know what, we, what he was doing was wrong. So it's a, it's a sort of an interesting balancing act, isn't it? I mean, I know what you're saying and I get your point, but it may well be uh, that to give him that kind of get-out clause, if you like, that he's mentally unfit to stand trial, maybe that's letting him off. Well, you have a point, but the maximum sentences under this act is seven years and again, going back, it used to include a damn good thrashing. Yes. I'm not sure that would do him any no, good. No, we can't be having but that sort of thing anymore. No, well, perhaps we should, <laughs> but that's another, for another time. Yeah. But seriously, uh, I just think this man was completely uh, off his rocker. How he got in is interesting. Some reports say that it took almost two hours to find him. Now, that concerns me as, as the former head of what I used to do, which included Windsor Castle and yeah. all the other palaces that gives me concern if that is true how could he wander around for such a long time i mean this history is full of people trying to get into the palaces as you know but this this again but going back to the a1 that is concerning 
and it's concerning that there appears to be no regulation or control in what a robot can tell somebody no. who clearly, in my opinion, is mentally ill. Well, no doubt there will be free speech campaigners saying, well, of course, the chatbot should be able to say anything he wants. But, I mean, if it's starting to, to sort of be the voice in the head of somebody and tell them that they should go ahead and commit a serious crime, um, there may need to be some form of legislation that covers it. Well, I think so. And apparently this guy had about up to 7,000 lines of chat with this artificial A1 girlfriend of his. I mean, it's just beggars belief that we've reached this state where a computer can encourage uh, and to a point assist somebody who's mentally ill to go and do such a serious uh, crime as this. Yeah. I just beggars belief, really. I know. There's another story out today, Di, I wanted to run past you, which also sort of beggars belief. Uh, and this is one about uh, yet another transgender criminal. Um, a suspended sentence has been handed out uh, to Tanya Howes um, because um, basically um, he stroked she, who was caught with indecent images of children, um, cannot, cannot go to prison because they can't decide whether to house her stroke he in a male or a female prison. Um, Tanya, Howes, Tanya Howes apparently um, has now been given a suspended 12-month jail term. She's previously admitted three charges of possessing indecent images of children, including 39 Category A images, which are the most serious. She also admitted a separate charge of possessing 100 grossly offences, extreme pornographic images and videos on the same date. So basically, there's a message here, rather like the one in Scotland, is that if you say you're transgender, you get away with it. Well, again, I just shake my head because it just beggars belief that the uh, judge or whoever would be a judge, because the offences would have ensured he was before a Crown Court judge. What kind of judge is this kind of individual who can't determine with the four... Perhaps they should have used the four psychiatrists who are looking at Mr. Chihill at public uh, expense. Yeah. Why can't they get these clever people to make a decision for once in their lives and not, not sort of, oh, just beggars belief. And, and this man should be in prison. And mm. what, kind of, what kind of deterrent does it send to these evil people who watch and encourage the sexual abuse of children? Yeah. I've been in this game for such a long time, child protection once in my career, I, we just simply don't seem to learn, do we? we got to lock these people up. Lock Mr. Child up for seven years. I'll give this yeah. guy 70 years. Oh, there's plenty of left-wingers who worry about the vulnerable young men coming here on uh, boats illegally to this country, uh, seemingly without any members of their family or without any women either. But this guy, uh, they, they feel very sorry for, even though um, he is entirely responsible for his own actions, entirely responsible for being a paedophile. Um, and apparently Ian Taylor, the chair of the bench of magistrates who was involved in this case, says these offences would normally attract immediate custody. However, because of the time lag, no reoffending, and because probation feel they can re rehabilitate you, it's going to be an unusual sentence because we're going to suspend it. Great. Uh, well, it shouldn't have been before magistrates. It should have been elevated to a crown court. So I take back what kind of judge? I'll talk. I'll, I'll refer the idiocy to the magistrate. Yeah. And the fact that he hasn't been caught doesn't mean he hasn't been doing it. And the problem is with the justice system. We worry about police not arresting anybody. What's the point when they get hold of it? When they actually arrest somebody, which is rare these days, they actually then give this kind of sentence. It's no deterrent at all to these paedophiles. And there are thousands of them. They've got to learn. If you do it, you're going to prison for a long time. Yeah. I'd give him 17 years. Well, we hear all the time about safeguarding, don't we? What about the safeguarding of children who might be in danger from this character? 
Well, you're absolutely right, and I have little or no faith in the probation service either. They, well, oh, we no, they think they day. think they think everybody can be rehabilitated. It's fine. They're going to let Colin Pitchfork out next. He's already been let out once and then recaptured uh, by the prison service because he broke his um, his bail restrictions and he ended up hanging around outside schools. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. But again, half a century I've been in this game, and I I, I keep hearing me learning lessons from all all and sundry. But we're not. And we're not putting these people away so they can't harm children. Yeah. Their safety, their rights are far superior to any paedophile, in my opinion. Yeah. And I don't think paedophiles can be cured, in my humble opinion. And I say that with half a century plus of experience yeah, no. in policing and, and well, this game. You're absolutely right. I once interviewed a paedophile when I was working on a radio station up in Scotland. And he himself said that he shouldn't be released. He himself said he couldn't be cured. He himself said he would always feel sexually aroused by children. And yet he had just been released and was wandering about. He finished the interview with me, wandered off to the local shopping centre. Well, you're right. The oldest one I arrested back in Twickenham or Teddington in those days as a young inspector, he was 78 mm. and had been abusing children. 78 he'd been doing it. Right. So no, no, no way should this man be given a suspended. I don't care what sex he is. Yeah. He can go to one or the other and they can sort it out there. But one way he should be in prison. Exactly right. Good to talk to you, Di. Uh, it's common sense personified as ever, a former head of Royal Protection and much else besides uh, when the police actually used to arrest people and the police actually did a job uh, that the people of this country could be proud of. Unbelievable what's going on out there, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Breaking news from Wimbledon, as we said earlier on. Uh, emergency services are treating several people. We believe um, seven children and two adults have been treated uh, for injuries sustained after a Land Rover crashed into a building uh, down there, uh, very close actually to where the Lawn Tennis Championships are going on. Uh, it's in uh, a part of Wimbledon, uh, very close to Camps Road, uh, a place called Wilberforce House. The Study Prep is the name of the school. Uh, it's an all-girls school. Pupils are aged between four and 11. It looks just like uh, a terrible accident has happened there. Uh, police are saying it's not uh, treating the incident as terror-related, but we'll keep you updated. We will be talking to the local MP uh, down there as well, uh, as much as we can. Um, Alex Salmond is here. Very good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. Very nice to see you. How's it all going? Well, hopefully the, the kids are all right in particular in Wimbledon, but uh, apart from that, things are going really well. Yes, good. Um, we're going to come back to you in a minute. I think we're going to be... Are we going to um, Mr Hammond, the uh, local MP? Yeah, Stephen Hammond, MP for Wimbledon. Stephen, um, um, good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. Um, this is looking like a bit of a, a tragic accident. What, what can you tell us? It's looking like... Uh, it's looking like a tragic accident. The police have said it's not terror-related. They've declared a major incident, and you've seen that by the scale and the speed of the response. Air ambulance, paramedics, firemen, fire service, and the police on site. Uh, it, uh, it's a well-known, well-respected local prep school with girls of broadly between four and eight on a relatively secluded part of Wimbledon known as the Quadrangle. Right. Um, uh, yeah, it, it looks like uh, a you know, very serious incident. Mm. And it happened just before mm. 10 o'clock. I mean, normally speaking, would the would children have been inside by and large or would some of them still have been in the playground? Uh, well, I, I don't know the routine of the day. All I could say is I believe it's the last day of term and so there may well have been some variation in normal lessons right. today and that may well explain why people might have been outside when they might have normally been inside. Okay. Um, uh, and so it's... Uh, 
but I undoubtedly this will have a huge effect on the Wimbledon community. As I say, it's a, a well-known local school. No, Lots of local right. families send their girls there. And any information yet on the driver of the car? Not that I've heard, I'm afraid. I have spoken to the police and to the chief executive of the council about the response, uh, but I haven't yet spoken again to the police to hear more. Uh, I know that they've interviewed the driver uh, and uh, an ongoing investigation is happening. Okay. Stephen, thank you very much indeed. Stephen Hammond, MP for Wimbledon there. Um, one of those terrible things that you just never expect to happen, um, but which sometimes does. Alex, apologies for, for interrupting you. Um, we've just got say that, you know, Steve, just interviewed Stephen, obviously the concentration is in where the kids are going to be yeah. all right. You did very well there. I mean, it's, uh, you know, your local MP, potential tragedy in mm. your constituency, finding the words yeah. to, to express things, it's all, always tricky. Stephen did very yes, well. Yes, I think he did, yeah. And we're grateful for him to, for, for coming on. Um, Let's talk to you, first of all, about the events of yesterday up in Edinburgh. Um, we had the handing over of the Scottish honours, I think it's called, isn't it? <laughs> we not um, even got paid for them. No. I resent this. Handing I mean, over from nothing. Yes. And I heard you on Jeremy Carl's show the other night mm. talking about the £22,000 replacement sword. Um, is it really the case that the old sword was literally falling about and couldn't be held up for fear that it might collapse? Yeah, but it's history. I mean, look, the, the sword of Scotland was presented to James IV by mm. Pope Julius in 1507. Oh, by the way, I must say, I was incredibly impressed by your historic knowledge of all of this because I'm sitting there sort of in the car wrapped by this, <laughs> and I tried to repeat it, like I got it wrong. Well, I, I was trying to remember who it was that was being chased by Cromwell. Well, I, I, no, that, that was a bit later. Yeah. But the, uh, no, the Pope Julius was called the warrior pope, and ah. he, he was trying to get James IV into the papal wars, right. on his side, obviously. So he sent him this lovely sword. And it's, this is authentic history. Mm. Now, it's had, you know, that, that sword was actually chased. It was hidden from Cromwell's dragoons mm. in the northeast of Scotland. It was broken in two right. to be smuggled out in the underskirts of a serving lady wow. to keep it away from Cromwell. Mm. But so the point I'm making is it wasn't intact through its history. It was mended. Right. And you could mend it again. Right. Because it's real. It's authentic. Surely it's that's history. the point. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, giving Charles a, a 22,000... But now, no disrespect to the craftsmen in Historic Scotland, no. who I'm sure did a marvellous job. But let me tell you, I know for a fact that King Charles doesn't need an extra sword. He doesn't. He really doesn't. He's got quite a few. Yeah. And it sends a whole volume of uh, missed messages in a time of austerity to say, right, we'll just spend 22,000 quid on a sword. It's entirely wrong. And who actually paid for the sword then? Oh, the Scottish Government. So it came out of the, the budget for, yeah, the, well, uh, for the Scottish Parliament? Uh, if I'd been First Minister, it got short shrift, I could tell Mind you, you I can promise a, you. They've had a bit of trouble passing their accounts recently, so I mean, well, they, they've been, maybe they've just smuggled it in on the side. Well, I suppose, compared to the money on the ferries, it, it doesn't seem very uh, much. But look, it sends a bad message, in my opinion. Mm. Now, I mean, also, a bit of ingenuity. I mean, the Diamond Jubilee uh, back in, when was that, 2011? Yeah. Uh, I gave Her Majesty the Queen uh, a f an absolute digitalised facsimile of the 2011 census in Balmoral, okay. which she pored over for hours right. because she could recognise the names from when she was a child in the 20s, right. the names of the people in the Balmoral estate. Okay. She was fascinated by it. Mm. Total cost of that digitalisation, a couple of hundred quid. Right. Just use a bit of imagine If you want to give a gift, a yeah. present to your sovereign, yeah. put, the, the, these people are not short of a bob or two. They've got everything that wealth and luxury can buy. Give them something original. Yes. Well, it's like buying presents for people. That, my, my sister, for example, who's got pretty much everything she's ever wanted, and I always buy her something like a nice bottle of wine or something rather than 
bothering to buy some baubles. Oh, but that's just your excuse. Well, then I get to drink it with it. It's true. But I mean, but talking um, of baubles and stuff, you do realise that the Scottish crown jewels, mm. which were given over, which to are apparently King the Charles, oldest crown jewels in the nation, right? The, well, I use that o- word um, advisedly. The second oldest in Europe after Hungary. But yeah. the key thing from a Scotland England point of view, as you'll appreciate, is they're substantially older mm. than the baubles in the Tower of London. Yes, indeed. So, isn't it a bit ironic, though, that the SNP, as the Scottish government, um, albeit that they're in cahoots with the Greens, are giving a gift at all to, to the king, given that... They, I mean, they, their position on the royal family is a bit muddled, it seems to me, because they want independence, but they still want to have um, the crown as the head of the state, do they? Well, that, that's a perfectly defensible position, and it's a position I adopted when Queen Elizabeth was Queen of Scots. Right, uh, but that's not your position now. No, because it would have been insanity to argue against deposing someone like Her Majesty the Queen, whose lifetime of service was impeccable, political suicide. But it was a reasonable position. I just think now, when you're talking about things and thinking about a new Scotland, a new independent So your position then was pragmatic then, in other words? Yes, it was pragmatic. And so happens the Yusuf's position now is pragmatic, except for this. That, you know, he's a self-proclaimed Republican. Yeah. He did it during <laughs> during his leadership contest. Right. And for a Republican, let, let, I'm not going to be too hard on him on this because right. this is he not, did attend the coronation in London as well. He, he did, and it's not the worst thing he's done because there is a public duty element to, to mm. what you do, regardless of your own views. Yeah. But let's put it this way: he's you know, for an avowed Republican, he seems to spend a great deal of time at royal ceremonies. Yes, he certainly does. Uh, you did not attend the royal ceremony yesterday. No, I didn't. I, I politely declined my invitation. But you were invited. Yeah. Yeah. So why did you not go? Be, well, because it's not real. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, if you're, let's take it from a monarchist point of view, then certainly from a, well, what I would, you know, first minister should have said, if we've got King Charles, regardless of our views in the future, let's have a proper coronation. Mm. Well, let's go to Schoon, right. where Charles II was coronated in 1651. Right. Let's make it proper and historic. Now, let's you say coronated, and I heard this the other night. Yeah. Is that a different form of well, crowning? You, you stick the crown on somebody's head. Right. Yesterday, they had a crown, but they didn't stick it on anybody's head. Right. It wasn't a coronation. So he wasn't, it was so, a fake. Okay, so you call it... Yeah, but what's the difference between coronated and crowned, though? Well, no, no, nothing. Coronated right. crown. Okay. Uh, two, two verses in the same was, one. Yeah, I thought maybe it was a Scottish you know, version. Posh folk like me. You know, yes. <laughs> say, okay. coronated. The Lithgow types. <laughs> coronation. I, I, I remember it through the carnation milk, you know. Yes, of course. We all used to drink that. And my mother still puts in her coffee, uh, if she can get her hands on it. But what about um, the, the House of Lords? I want to bring you to that uh, today, yeah. because uh, a lot of talk about the bishops. Um, we call him Archbishop Wokeby, uh, who apparently is now in favour of people trafficking. And I was saying earlier to, today, it's more like the Sermon on the Mount has become blessed of the, of the human traffickers uh, because they shall inherit all the money. Uh, he seems to want to encourage them to keep bringing people here illegally and he doesn't want to deport anybody to Rwanda uh, because that would be inhumane. I think the bishops are uh, an addition that we don't need anymore in the House of Lords and I'd quite happily do away with the House of Lords and make it into something else. Well, I agree with him on the Rwanda element of his uh, of his sermon. Do you? Uh, well, I do because I think the Rwanda policy is stupid. It's silly, it's hyper-expensive, it's daft. But 
The real point is, what on earth is a cleric mm. doing in a legislature? Unless, of course, they stand for election like yeah. everybody else should. And what on earth... Although we... not everybody else in the House of Lords, obviously. Well, I'm pointing out, well, why on earth do we have, <laughs> do we have a, a, a House of Lords which uh, is either appointed or, <laughs> in some cases still, uh, that hereditary yes. or clerical element to mm. it? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Although I was told today by somebody that actually the 99 hereditary peers actually probably work harder than most of the people yeah. who are in there because of whatever it is they've been, uh, uh, you know. Well, you know, by and large, given. you know, elected politicians who have many deficiencies and, you know, I could start and name them, name them all, but uh, hard work is usually one of their virtues as opposed to, because they, they all work like spit yeah. to get into the, right. the place and they work like spit to stay in, in most cases. Right. There's a few in safe seats, you know, lounge about. Although the, the story today, and I've put this to two Tory MPs who have both sort of not disagreed with it, it's a piece by Jason Groves in the Mail, that there's a kind of clock-watching uh, sort of quality to the way that the House of Commons is currently running. People have sort of, they're basically running down the clock until the election. They're not really doing much. And a lot of Tory MPs who know they're just going to give up are not really interested anymore. So we're not really getting the democracy we voted for. Well, you're saying it should be an early election. It's Mike getting I'd rather independent have an early Republic election. Yeah. Well, I'm calling I, now for an early election. I've done it before. I, I, I called, voted no confidence yes, in Rishi Sunak. I called for an early election. I think it was about this time, well, about October of last year, I think. And I was finally, just get an election, get it over with. We found something on which you and Sir Keir Stammer could be on the same side. Right. Well, he says he wants an early election, but does he really? Because at the moment, I'm not sure he's got enough votes to win a big enough majority to, to, to make a difference. Well, he's certainly not setting the heather on fire. He really uh, is But then, of course, he doesn't have to at the present moment uh, because Rishi Sunak's uh, enabling his, uh, his, uh, his succession. Rishi anyway. Sunak has now managed to ruin himself as well as the Tory party, he's gone from 22% approval rating to minus two. Well, that's all right. I, thought, I, thought, you meant, I thought you meant financially. I was no, going to say, we're no, all in can, trouble. No, no, if a billionaire he, can wipe no, out his money, we're all in no, trouble. even he hasn't managed to do that. Um, no, but he has managed with, and this is the Conservative Home website, which is Conservative voters oh, that, who yes. now have no confidence in him as a leader and who just don't think he's worth a fag end. But, you know what's really interesting about that? Who's the top? Mm. Ben Wallace. Yeah. The guy who's turned down the job twice. Right. It's top. There's a lot of questions about why he's turned that down. I mean, he wanted to go off and be the head of NATO, didn't he? But Joe Biden's not having any of that. But there's some yeah. people who think he doesn't want the scrutiny of uh, the, the top job. Well, you can understand that in a way. Ben's a hell of a nice guy. I mm. mean, he, he, was in the Scottish, Very good he was in the, in the Scottish Parliament yeah. before he was uh, in Westminster. Mm. Very, quite an unusual career progression, yes. serving soldier, Scottish Parliament, Westminster Parliament. Yeah. Yeah. So NATO would have been good, but, you know, as you rightly say, the Yanks have the, the final say as to who gets the, the NATO They do. Job. Well, they do pay for most of it, I suppose. Um, finally, we should talk about Winnie Ewing, shouldn't we? Um, mm, well, Winnie really. Ewing's uh, got memorial service. I mean, a lot of people probably, it would, be, would be fair to say, may not know who, who she is. So tell us a little bit about Winnie Ewing. And yet, if we had been sitting here in a studio in the 60s, 70s, mm. everybody would have known who yeah. Winnie Ewing. She's a great lady at her funeral, or her memorial service is a week on Saturday at uh, Inverness Cathedral. Mm. Uh, she was a legendary figure. Uh, you know, 1967 and her amazing victory in Hamilton, yeah. it is to a Scottish nationalist what, I don't know, 1945 would be to a Labour yeah. uh, supporter or 1979 right. would be to a Tory supporter. Uh, she won against all odds a safe Labour seat in a by-election. She basically traumatised the Labour Party. She took the House of Commons by storm 
And she she put up with total vilification. I mean, people moan about treatment these days, but she was facing an army of 300 Labour MPs mm. scared out their wits, baying at her. Yeah. I mean, their behaviour was so bad that Harold Wilson, who was Prime Minister and a thoroughly decent man, had to step in and tell them to behave themselves. Right. Uh, so she had conquered all that. She lost her She seat. didn't need that help, by the way, because she was quite formidable. No, she? no, she was a one-woman army. Yeah. Uh, she lost her seat, and then she came back, defeated the sitting Secretary of State for Scotland right. in the northeast of Scotland, in Murray and Nairn in 74. When she lost her seat again in 79, within weeks, she won against all the odds, the Highlands and Islands seat in the European Parliament. She right. was indomitable. She could not be put down. Mm. She transformed Scottish politics, and it's going to be one of the great privileges of my life uh, to, to do her eulogy yeah. uh, a week on Saturday. And would the SNP have been what it is, I mean I, I hesitate to say what it is now, what it was when you were running it without her? No, uh, and she was by some distance the most influential Scottish nationalist of the 20th century. You know after 67 basically London stopped laughing mm. at Scottish nationalism. Now there's a few chortles again about the SNP in their current travails but when he transformed the the view of Scotland, for the first time, Scottish pol political aspirations were taken seriously. That, that's what that woman achieved. Yes. Madame Ecos is what they called her yes, I remember in, that. in Europe. Of course. Mrs. Scotland. Yeah. A, a fantastic accolade. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I, obviously, we're, we're running very much out of time, but I've got to ask you about the latest whatever is going on up there. I love the fact that all MPs are now hiding behind this police investigation whenever anybody gets asked a question, not only about what's happening in Scotland, but what's happening uh, in Westminster. They all say, oh, no, we can't say anything. There's a, uh, there's a police investigation ongoing, which doesn't in, in any way actually affect what anybody says. Um, but feel free to use that as an excuse if that's what you're well, about to I, do. Well, I'm, 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 I'm a rarity. I'm, I'm absolutely unique because usually what people do is they say there's a police investigation yeah. and then they proceed to comment on right. it. I, I'm the exception. I'm the one who says there's a live police investigation and I don't comment on it. There you go. The Excellent. cards will fall as they will. As they will, or where they will, even. Um, good to see you again, Alex. Thank you very much Pleasure. indeed. Um, we will be back. Uh, we'll take a couple more of your calls. We're going to talk about schools. We're going to talk about Keir Starmer. A little bit more um, about the caterpillars that are dangerously close to you and could cause a problem. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 